Welcome to the Weekly Workplace, where professionals come to find insights and inspiration for success. Hosted by the Missouri Training Institute, Dewey Thompson, Ray Lyon, and Brianna Larimer share their decades of experience training in workplaces across the nation and talk to other experts about what it takes to be a team player, a great manager, and a leader others want to follow. This is the Weekly Workplace. Welcome to the Weekly Workplace, where professionals come to find insights and inspiration for success. Today's episode, we're so excited to have a special guest, Brian Kirkpatrick with Missouri National Guard. Uh, Thank you so much for being here today. Well, thank you very much. It's a Really a pleasure to be here. Thanks. Absolutely. And Ray, uh, welcome as well. And I'm so excited because you made this connection for us on this veteran special episode here. Uh, so tell me a little bit about the connection you made and where you made it and how you know Brian. Absolutely. Well, I was at one of our HRA um, of Central Missouri, and that sounds for Human Resource Association. I'm a part of that. And we were at uh, an after hours mixer. Yep. So we oftentimes get together Monday. Monthly, either for a breakfast and a program. Um, this happened to be a, a social hour. And I looked over and uh, Brian was just kind of sitting by himself. I hadn't seen you at any of our events. And so I waved him over being the shy person that I am. And he came over and joined us and uh, introduced himself. Um, and we just kind of launched from there and come to find out there were there was another lady sitting with us that yes. was also a veteran. And I'm interested in veterans, not only from the perspective of just your duty and your sense of duty, but also what that means to us as employers. Um, My son is a veteran as a non-active Marine. And so I asked Brian if he'd come and share his experiences. And I knew he was not only looking for civilian employment, but he also hires and works with other military. So I just kind of want to start there and maybe uh, just back all the way up and ask Brian to introduce himself and um, a little bit about how you got where you got today. Well, sure. Yeah. So like I said, my my name's Brian uh, and my title with the Missouri National Guard is G1 Sergeant Major. So basically what that means is, hey, I work directly for the Chief of Human Resource Officer for a centralized HR department. That's really the best way to translate that. And how I got there is kind of a kind of a long road. Um, <laughs> I, I joined the National Guard almost 30 years ago. Wow. And I've worked my way through a lot of different uh specialty areas. Um, The one most recently that I've spent the most time in is in the human resources area. So that was another big reason why I joined the Human Resources Association of Central Missouri. Yes, HRACMO. Because uh, in the National Guard, um, I mean, the predominance of our force, about 90% of our force are the traditional weekend soldiers. So the same folks we employ two days a month and two weeks a year, uh, the civilian market employs the rest of the time. So it's a great interaction. And, and, and I've always tried to compare and, uh, I don't know, uh, understand both sides. So that was a, a, the, the big factor in joining the association and getting to meet Ray and some of the other folks. Um, I've been doing the 
HR side of the house to some degree for about the last 20 years, either in training or HR supervision, but really focused on in the last five. All right. So as you mentioned, the the National Guard um, is part of the military. It is. Um, I want to make some distinction when we think about National Guard. Um, and like you said, the, the other days of the week, they're actually civilians in holding yes. civilian jobs. Um, and the difference, I, and I had to look this up um, because I was confused in my own mind, the difference between National Guard and the reserves. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I thought it was interesting because the the National Guard, as he mentioned, they hold civilian jobs and there's only the, the branches that they represent are Army and Air Force. Army and Air Force, yes. Army and Air Force. And um, so two days a, a like the weekends and then two weeks a year, they have um, not only military missions, but they also for federal, but they also serve a state mission. So tell me what that means. Yeah, that's the key distinction between the National Guard and the remainder of the reserve force. National Guard is technically a reserve force, but uh, we fall under two areas, right? We'll either answer to the president on federal missions, right? Mm -hmm. Or uh, most importantly, we answer to our governor for state missions. State emergency duties, uh, riot type situations, mm-hmm. uh, a variety of different things. That's the one of the strengths of what we do. Okay, so you can receive a calling. Something's going on in a in a city around where where we've had like floods or tornadoes or things like that, or, and then you get called out. Absolutely, okay. floods, tornadoes. Even recently, uh, the civil disturbances that we've had over the last year amongst the nation and in Washington D.C. Okay. We send folks to Washington, D.C. Because we're organized under what's called Title 32, it's just okay. a it's just a law. Okay. Uh, we're allowed uh, to perform our services in uniform within the borders of the United States. Okay. All right. So that's the National Guard. And the reserves, they represent all five branches of the military, not just the Army and Air Force like the National Guard do. That's true, yes. Okay, correct. And so they have no state mission. No, they don't have a state mission. They can't they can't be pulled into service unless the president does what the president does and declares certain things. Okay. Whereas a National Guard is called into the governor. All right. So they are actual military, their personnel who serve on a full time or part time basis, um, is what I found in my my research. You're right. Every every reserve component, National Guard or reserves, the predominance of their force, roughly around ninety percent, is the is the we call them M day soldiers, where they drill two days a month and two weeks a year, and roughly around ten to fifteen percent uh, are full time soldiers, whether they're an active guardsman or reservist like myself, mm-hmm. uh, just like your active duty, or they might be a federal technician doing things, making sure that folks get the training and all the scheduling stuff gets done. Okay. So what I also learned about you is now you've been in the National Guard, you said almost 30 years. Almost. Okay. And that has been a full-time position for you, correct? So for the last 20 years, it's been full time. Okay. My first nine, almost 10 years was the traditional soldier uh, where I went in two days, uh, two days a month and two weeks a year. And uh, during that time frame, uh, there were six years that I was a corrections officer for the state of Missouri. Two years, two years, I was a deputy sheriff for Cole County. So it's a, it's, it was really a great time, uh, but I enjoyed it so much, uh, and so many doors just opened themselves up. I applied for and uh, was hired on as the as full time, and it's been the best decision I've made. That kind of leads me into, I guess, my question for you is: 
why? You know, what's your why? Why did you choose the the National Guard and and that that altruistic spirit and commitment to service? Well, that's one of my <laughs> that's one of my favorite questions to answer. I, I was twenty four, yeah. right, uh, and I just thought, man, there's got to be something more. Um, I wasn't probably the most wisest young man at twenty four, but I wanted <laughs> to be a part of something greater than myself, right? Uh, and I was freshly married, mm-hmm. uh, and I thought, hey, let me look into this National Guard because you get to stay in Missouri, but you still get all these experiences. And um, it was roughly around that time when the flood of 93 happened. I joined Mm. just before that. But there were lots of stuff. And I'm like, you know what? I really want to be a part of that. And as I got into it, you go through like every other active duty soldier goes, basic training and advanced individual training. And then you come out and you're a part of your community. So your mission set, the things you're responsible for, isn't just being there for the nation when they call. It's being there for your neighbors, truly your neighbors. Uh, And that's a really great that's a really great thing. I love that. I love that. You know, and one of the things uh, some of our listeners may may know, uh, I I used to work in law enforcement as well. And I always loved Mm -hmm. asking officers that question was what why did you choose what you chose? And I I think you succinctly explained it there. So thank you for your service. First and foremost. Yeah. Thank you. All right. So in thinking about that and in in transitioning. So I know, Brian, when we talked first, you said now that you're kind of looking more toward that civilian Mm -hmm. type job and that you were interviewing. So let me ask you this. In that transition, would that mean that you will become a veteran? Well, yes, but I already am. Okay, uh, so, explain that to me. Uh, if you if you look at the term veteran, it's basically a term that uh, uh, describes a minimum criteria for someone to get that veteran status. Okay. Uh, and if you really look at, I actually did a little research to make sure I was smart on this. <laughs> uh, a United States Code talks about the term of veterans, which simply means a person who served in the active military, naval or air force, and who was discharged or released therefrom under conditions other than. Dishonorable. So what does that mean? Hey, uh, uh, if I were to join the active duty and I did my first four years uh, uh, and then served that on active duty status and then did four years of reserve and I get out, hey, I'm a veteran. Uh, there are other categories that said if I, if I enter and, and injure myself, right, and I have to get out medically, I may have never served more than a year, but I could still be a veteran. So will I achieve veteran status when I retire? Yes, but <laughs> I, I crossed that gate several years ago. Right, right. And and it's interesting, you know, we, you say I looked it up because there really are a lot of criteria for being considered um, a qualified veteran. You know, so many days, what what type of service mm-hmm. you actually did have. Um, so there's a lot of things. You know, I I also did a little bit of research and I want to make sure that, you know, we understand what our servicemen and women, how many of them there actually are in the workforce. And this came out, this was uh, Department of Labor, some statistics that um, came out in a report May of just this year that as of March 2021, there's 18.6 million total veterans in the U.S. Little over half of them are in the labor force. Mm-hmm. So we have about 9.2 million in the labor force. 66% of them are 45 years or older. So I won't give it away, but I, you know, if you consider yourself, Brian, in that age group, I am. I am in that age group. Okay. Yes. Okay. We get the benefit of that because we're sitting around the table. Um, 2% of them are 24 years or under. Wow. Mm-hmm. 
thought that was interesting. And 42% of them are Gulf War era two veterans. And so when I, you know, looked that up, anybody that's served from August 2nd of 1990 mm-hmm. to the present. So anyone serving um, during that time and that's considered uh, serving during wartime yep. um, will be considered. That. I can actually add some numbers to those because good. again, what you're talking about there is veterans who meet that specific criteria. I will tell you, uh, just in the National Guard alone, there are over 335,000 uh, guardsmen. Some of those haven't attained veteran status because they've not mobilized overseas, been called active duty. I mean, we a lot of us were years ago, but not so much. And, and of that 335,000, most of them are in our workforce. And those people have the same, sometimes more training. Uh, at least the same training, sometimes more training than our younger folks that achieved a veteran status. So we got a wide variety of folks in the workforce that are great employees. Yeah. So let's talk about that a little bit and thinking about hiring some of these veterans, because we know veterans actually consistently have lower unemployment rates than non-veterans. Why Why do you think that is? And I know I'm asking you to speculate because you're only one person and you don't represent all the veterans um, out there, but why do you think that is? I think I can answer that. And I'm, I'm pretty confident in that because uh, in, in in military service, they teach both. I, I think HR community talks about hard skills and soft skills, right? Mm-hmm. We absolutely teach the hard skills that they need, whether we're logisticians, truck drivers, whether we're computer guys, all of these things. We, we focus on that. But at the same time, one might even suggest that we focus more on the soft skills, leadership, problem solving, influencing time management. All those things are critical skills. We focus basic skills at the beginning of a soldier's career, right? We train leadership and soft skills for the entirety of it. So, uh, and when we evaluate our soldiers and airmen and Marines, we do focus a little bit on the technical aspect, but most of it is in those soft skills. And I think those soft skills are some things that employers look for. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. We talked often on this show about how I don't call them soft skills anymore. I think they're power skills because you absolutely have to have them now. The power of influence can do uh, amazing things. I've often said uh, it's not about having the absolute best people on your team. It's about getting the most out of that out of your team members. And that's what leadership for us mm-hmm. is about, influencing an outcome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, when I think about that transition, And I remember watching my son, um, who served four years in the Marines and deployed twice um, and was attached with an air wing and um, uh, aviation ordnance. And then, you know, you look at that Mm -hmm. hard skill, Mm -hmm. um, that technical skill, and you're thinking, how is that going to transition from that technical component into civilian life? And I remember that being a difficult transition. Um, And he learned a trade and and he still um, obviously has that technical trade ability, Mm -hmm. but it was a tough transition. So that, that to me is why. Why is that transition. And you mentioned those soft skills, but I, I'm wondering from an employer standpoint, is there something, um, and as you're looking mm-hmm. and interviewing with civilian employment, private employers right now, is there something that employers could be doing when we're working with veterans or looking to tap in to that soft skills training that's already inside of those veterans' I'll stop short of saying saying what they should do, but maybe what you should 
understand. Okay, right? that's probably a better way to. Uh, thank here's you. what I guarantee that your son had is outstanding leadership. Right, uh, all of our leaders in the military, whatever whatever it is, we believe that all soldiers, airmen, and Marines are entitled to outstanding leadership. So if your son were to work for me, hey, I'm going to give him the purpose. Hey, why are you doing this and why is it important? I'm going to give him some motivation and inspire him and all those things. And that's kind of what we're used to. And it's about the team. It's about diversity. Even so much as this morning, I'm trying to learn and research how I can transition over into civilian field. And it's more, it at least appears to be more individualistic. We're not individualistic mm. type of people. We're part of the team. So uh, when we come out, that's just what we've lived in. And it takes us a while to go, okay, I can be me, right? Um, now, if, if you tell us, hey, here's your left boundary, here's your right boundary, it's all yours. Hey, we're great. I mean, we are trained and experienced in problem solving and all those types of things. But it's just understanding we're used to folks giving us our boundaries, right, mm -hmm. and allowed to move forward. But I think what I'm trying to learn in, in the civilian world, there's not so much of that. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, you just, once we get used to it, we'll be fine. Yeah. And that's interesting because we do so much of um, talking about that to our clients and mm -hmm. customers um, because many of them have moved into those roles of supervision, management, and leadership just because they're good technically. Right. And so they don't always know or understand, I need to set those clear um, expectations and boundaries and let and you in the military or coming from the military those are very clearly set and um, um, and then they'll figure out mm -hmm. the technical within those boundaries and so right. we, we kind of do it in the reverse in our world if, if all you have is technical expertise um, you'll cap out yeah yeah interesting you know one of the things I was intrigued by that, that you had said and I'd never considered this before is that idea of we're a part of a team when we come out of the military, you know, and I think that nowadays, traditionally, and I've talked about this on episodes before, we're a very competitive society. And mm. so I think that um, my generation and even heck, my brother's generation who's younger than me, it, they're not as team oriented. So talk a little bit about how employers might be able to harness some of that, that teamwork and the element of teamwork that veterans can offer in an environment. Where's one thing that I that I preach every day, right? Nobody's good at everything. Everybody's good at something. And that's why we build teams. Each, in, <laughs> each individual has their own weaknesses, right? And we tend to put pride aside because ultimately it's about accomplishing whatever the task or goal is. And then collectively we take credit for that. That's, and that's a great thing. Most of the, uh, most of the leaders that you'll find will speak very little about themselves and more so about the team because those are the folks who do it. I, I guess I'm similar to sports events, right? No one individual on a team loses. The team does. No one individual wins. The team does. And, and, and we have that approach. And I think it's, it's great. And I, I think in the civilian community, I think you find organizations out there, some of your better organizations do approach the teamwork mm -hmm. and the diversity aspect of the teamwork. And I think typically from my studies, those are your high, higher performing organizations. Mm -hmm. Do you feel, you know, and here again, this is just your perspective, but do you feel that there's a bias regarding military? You know, I don't I, I don't want to say bias. I just want to say, I don't know questions. Hey, okay. what do I get? <laughs> what am I buying when I get this person? Hey, if you hire a bad seed in the civilian world, that person's just a bad seed, right? 
But if you hire someone that's classified as a veteran and they're a bad seed, hey, look, does that bad seed go all the way across? And I'm mm. telling you, it absolutely does not. You know, there are people who are classified as veterans who've been in less than two years. I have friends that served over 20 years that are fantastic leaders, fantastic technicians. They can't claim veteran status. So um, I think it's just a, it's such a broad subject. And if folks aren't familiar with how to ask the right questions, mm-hmm. it's just an uncertainty. And I understand that hiring managers, hey, they want as much certainty as they can get. We're no different. What is the hardest thing to overcome? I think when you when you consider your uh, jobs you've applied for or uh, maybe are in the, the works applying for, what is the hardest, I don't say stereotype, but thing to overcome when you're in there? So this is great. And I, I was actually talking to Ray at, <laughs> while you're on this. In almost every interview I've had, uh, in some form, someone's asked, hey, are you going to be able to basically shake the uniform or not be me? This one gentleman asks, hey, I'm sure you're used to people just taking your orders. How are you going to be able to handle it when they don't? And I kind of reminded him, hey, my employees are your employees and my kids are your kids. So the same ones you're explaining why you need to do that too, I am. I mean, all that stuff plays out in the movie's great, but that's really not the way it is. For us, it's about taking care of soldiers, but that's not what people see, right? All they see is the movies where we yell and, and we scream and and we do heroic things. Uh, so that's the biggest thing to shake is having, at least my experience, right, with all my interviews is how do I convey that, hey, I'm just, just like you. I, I just chose a different profession. You know, you look at uh, law enforcement officers, the healthcare industry, we've all served, right? Uh, there's just cooler movies about the army guys. And that's, that's what's hard to shake. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It, it, it certainly is, you know, and I, I actually did hear that a lot with some of my, my colleagues uh, back at the, the police department was, you know, recognize that I'm a human behind yeah. this uniform. So, I mean, what would you say to to workplaces out there or I guess just to general listeners out there that just reminds them of that? What do you want them to hear? Well, there's no one place. There's no one factory that makes soldiers and airmen and Marines, right? <laughs> We're somebody's son, we're somebody's daughter, we're somebody's cousin. We're the same kids that went to that little photo booth, right? And stuck your tongue out and made crazy things. Uh, just somewhere along the, along the lines, most of us said, hey, I want to be something more than what we are. And that led us to, led us to serve. Again, no different than firemen, no different than policemen. Hey, I, I want to do something more than what I am. And we're just the same. Right. Mm-hmm. We're, we're just like everybody else. Uh, our mission just helps defend uh, our nation against foreign aggressors rather than, you know, uh, criminal activity or flames shooting out of a building. <laughs> yeah. No, I, that's, that is so true. And I remember mm-hmm. my son saying the same thing. And I, I really have to hand it. I've, it's not just my son, but all of my nephews um, are military and, and most still active. I do have one that's um, no longer with us. And so I think it's really important. And I think from an employer standpoint, you know, we, we talk about, you know, taking taking the special individual that is so committed to the team and to giving of him or herself, because that's at a, a deeper level than I just want to, you know, crunch numbers mm-hmm. or I just want to make widgets, you know, which sometimes that 
that is my why, right? And really thinking about, I, th- I thought it was interesting, you know, as as um, Brian and I talked earlier, and this is maybe the third time, I guess, that we've talked about this from an employer stand of, uh, point of view, what can we be doing mm-hmm. to be able to leverage this talent um, that's out there that's maybe being untapped because there is higher unemployment um, for veterans. And so I think two things from an employer standpoint. One is really considering how we're writing our job descriptions. Um, and from an HR perspective, mm, you know, let mm, jump in here anytime. But, you know, we focus a lot on things like two to three years of outside sales experience, uh, mandatory, like that would be a typical phrase in our job, um, for our job descriptions, but yet maybe thinking about things like personal ownership and accountability as a way, you know, Brian mentioned the soft skills thing or building relationships with diverse groups or creative problem solving and strategic thinking, you know, putting those in our job descriptions as opposed to two or three years of outside sales experience. Well, where, where is this person going to get that yet? My son set up a very lucrative business within, uh, you know, his camp in Afghanistan. You know, it's just it's weird. You I, know, yeah, I, he smiles. Yeah, no, every bit of that. I You're absolutely you right. But too, on the flip side, what employers can do is there are tons of organizations out there to help employers understand how to do this. We have the Missouri Veterans Commission. There are things yes. on, on, on active duty post. Uh, we call them SFL TAP. It's a Soldiers for Life transition. That transition is the term we use. Transition assistance program. So when you start getting uh, the the documents like, you know, for veteran status, hey, they've got to give you a 214 and other things, they can help you understand what those things mean. Those are things that I'm pretty, pretty yeah. good at. But there are folks out there to help employ employers get the best uh, out of servicemen and women, veterans or not, that they that they employ. And we really want that. And later on, I'll tell you why I think that's super important, too. Yeah. Well, you know, I just think from our standpoint as well, you know, we're trying to hire the best and we're Mm -hmm. trying to retain as well as attract good talent. And I think maybe we're missing out. So, you know, there's also work opportunity tax credits that employers get by employing veterans and military personnel that you can take advantage of. Just the amount of leadership training, uh, problem solving that's paid for by the military is crazy. It is crazy. I've got um, almost two years of just leadership training, right? Uh, but I'm at the far end of the scale, right? I've, I'm I can't promote again, right? <laughs> but uh, uh, but for the mid-career type of person for us, anywhere 10 to 13 years, they've got about six weeks of leadership training. That's just free, right? And then when you look at technical skills in the uh, communication industry, the technical skills that our folks get free is just crazy. Thousands of dollars worth that employers can capitalize on. (laughs) The only thing that I have to understand is, oh, by the way, two weeks a year and two days a month, I've got to let my guy go do this. And occasionally, yes, there's a deployment overseas that'll take about a year, but I, I still got to think uh, the money you save and not having to spend on training will cover down on that short, relatively short period of time over the long term. Yeah. I, you know, the loyalty and the commitment and the dedication and the heart of our military service men and women, who wouldn't want that? And that's what we're taught every day. We live yeah. by that. In the Army, we have our Army values, seven Army values that cover everything. And, and that's what we get judged at most of all. Yeah. Um, loyalty and selfless service. And that's just that's what we do. We 
wake up and go to bed thinking about those things. <laughs> what is the hardest transition for you? When you think of coming out of, of the military mindset and transitioning into a civilian role, what do you think is going to, if you haven't done that, what would be the hardest thing to overcome? Yeah. So I, I, I've kind of said this and I hope this don't come off too army, <laughs> right? But, you know, in, in uniform service, there's a standard, right? And, and hey, it's a pretty high bar and you expect that of your buddies. And if your buddy's not making that standard, you can go over to him and say, Hey buddy, you're not meeting a standard. Come on. We got to, we got to tighten this shot group up. When I transition to the civilian world, I'm not going to flip out. I'm not wanting to make everybody do pushups, <laughs> but Hey, I, so if, if my standards pretty high, right. I, my personal belief is, uh, excellence is the only standard, right? That's just it. Uh, so if I find myself working in a, a group that, uh, is okay with just punching in and punching out and that's earning the paycheck, I think I'll, I'll deal with it, but that's probably my concern is I, I, I love working in those. And most of us do. We love working in those environments where everybody wants to be a great performer because man, when everybody's a great performer in the team, how easy your job is, it's crazy. And that family ties and that care factor for each other is just, it's, it's something yeah. everybody wants to be a part of. So that's probably my biggest concern mm -hmm. for myself. My other training that I'll mention that, that uh, a guardsman and reservists can get is uh, uh, we, we pay for college too. Yes. So yeah, uh, GI Bill. where I, I know there's some employers out mm -hmm. there that help fund uh, uh, continuing education for those, for those folks. If you hire a, a guardsman or a reservist, right. Uh, and you encourage them to, to go to school. Hey man, it's, it's paid for. Yeah. Uh, another great opportunity to, to hire. You got people typically, if you're hiring a soldier, they typically want more for themselves for the most part. Mm -hmm. That's a true statement. And they'll develop themselves. You won't have to just continue to prod them. They'll develop themselves. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That intrinsic motivation is probably a lot higher, I think, in maybe some of those em employees, the, the veteran employees, because you've learned how to do it on your own. That's hey, what started you become a part of a career that's about competition, yeah. right? We do individually compete every day. That's how we promote and those stuff like that. But ultimately, the performance is about the team. So yeah. we have a good mix uh, of individual competition, run faster, <laughs> do more push-ups, uh, all these things, right? We we can we absolutely are competitors. Yeah. Uh, but we're competitors for the team. Yeah, you know, I I know we need to wrap up, but I remember uh, my son after boot camp, and of course we went down and saw the whole graduation and everything. And I remember he said one of the things he'd every morning, uh, you know, when they'd come together and he'd look around his platoon, and he said I'd always look for the weakest link, and he said if I couldn't find it, I knew it was me. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Interesting perspective. Yep. Yeah. So I, to wrap up and to thank Brian so much for coming in this morning and just, you know, there's so many benefits uh, from an employer standpoint in hiring um, veterans and keeping our eye out and making sure that we are veteran friendly. There's resources for us as employers. And I encourage you, if you don't already have access to that, if you haven't already done those things, um, I encourage you veterans. Um, there's best practices out there. So go find out what's in it for you and leverage those things. If veterans, if you're listening to this podcast and you find yourself struggling or just kind of wondering why and really haven't found your mission in civilian life, there are tons and tons and tons of resources. And so I encourage you get hooked up and go to your veterans um, job centers and um, 
find out what resources are available to you because you're definitely worth it in our civilian world. And we want you employed and making a contribution as well. Yeah. I think what we'll do here with this podcast too, Ray, is I'll take some resources, maybe even that Brian has for us, and we'll use some of the research you have. We'll post those links in the podcast description. Um, Those resources will be for you if you're out there listening also. Brian, I'm just curious. Any final thoughts? It's all about soldier care, right? It's all about taking care uh, of the folks we have for the organization. And, and, and we do that in a number of ways. Um, why is it important, I think, for uh, why am I here to, to help mm-hmm. talk to employers? Hey, at any one given time since World War II, only 1% of our nation stands up to say this will defend, right? And it's getting harder and harder for folks to make those decisions. Here's why it's important uh, for us to have a great relationship uh, with the civilian world is, hey, after we serve, we want to be able to come out and know that our quality of life is good. And for the most part, the longevity of our quality of life comes with uh, the civilian world. Mm-hmm. So we in the guards and reserve and military, we want a great relationship so that when our soldiers and airmen and Marines, when they're done serving, hey, we're welcome in the community. And if you're a soldier or a Marine or an airman and you know the community is going to accept you back in there when you're done, it's going to be easier to go ahead and stand up and say, hey, this I'll defend. Agreed. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Brian. Thank you for being on today's episode. Thank you for all that you do and have done. And with that, I'm going to say, Ray, go be great. Thanks for listening to The Weekly Workplace, hosted by the Missouri Training Institute. Dewey, Ray, and Brianna stand ready to connect with you and meet your training needs. Be sure to check out ways to contact them in the episode description or at mti.missouri.edu.